Welcome to the second live episode of The Critical Catholic. I'm Mike Lewis, and I'm joined once again by David Lafferty, PhD. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed our theme song. The timing was a little bit better. We built in a couple of seconds of blank airtime so that it would, so you could see the whole mini snippet of the song. So, We're getting the hang of this now. It's kind yeah, of exactly. We're, you know, the special effects will be coming next week. Speaking of special effects, actually, this has nothing to do with special effects. Today's topic <laughs> is a lot of these conspiracy theorists, people who are spreading misinformation, pseudoscience, pseudo-theology, have been banned by, by social media platforms. Recently, LifeSite News was banned from Facebook, in addition to their earlier ban from YouTube. Podcaster and former Catholic Answers radio host Patrick Coffin was just booted from, well, he was booted from YouTube as well. And being a podcaster, that was sort of his bread and butter. That was his, his livelihood because of repeated instances of spreading misinformation about COVID and about the election and about the vaccine. And, and recently, last weekend, he was going to hold a conference called, that we discussed last week called Truth Over Fear but his web hosting company declined to host him. And so they postponed it a week and, and then they went ahead and they did have the conference over the past couple of days. I tried to, I registered for it and I, and I didn't have much time. Apparently the window to watch for free closed at 2.30 this afternoon, Eastern time. But you know, it was the usual lineup of anti-vax or COVID denialist Catholics Bishop Athanasius Schneider spoke at it. The keynote speaker by audio only pre-recorded was Archbishop Carlo Maria Vigano, the former apostolic nuncio to the U.S., but he's become uh, well-known for other things in the last couple of years. And uh, there was also a priest, Father Michael Copenhagen, who's a, he's an Eastern Rite Catholic priest who's based out of, I believe, Rochester, New York, maybe, maybe Albany, upstate New York. So there, you know, three clerics, including two bishops, took part in it. But the rest of the lineup was a who's who of anti-vaccine conspiracy theory, COVID denial conspiracy theory, of anti-virus conspiracy theory. Viruses don't make you sick. One of the one of the speakers, I believe that was his, that's his his thing. It, and it's funny because you see these people pop up around the internet this is there's like a speaker circuit i guess and they all they all show up at these events and and give these talks and they've developed a pretty big audience for it so we're going to talk about so david's got some notes prepared to talk about some of these things and how exactly the internet has influenced catholics in the last couple of years has challenged those of us who it's really i guess it's really demonstrated a lack of critical thinking among a large segment of Catholics. And so that's that's something that that we try to address here. So David, I don't know if you have any any comments on that before we we jump into our prayer and and start the discussion. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I think the key of course is critical thinking and also taking the time to figure out where are these voices coming from these people that we're hearing at these conferences, these people that we're seeing articles about you know, really take the time. Just all it usually takes is a simple Google search. You know, where where are these people coming from? What are, where else do they speak? What other publications are they in? Once you start doing that, you get 
the larger picture. And I think that's, you know, one of the things that we can try to do here is, is maybe paint a larger picture to show how this stuff enters the online sort of conspiracy ecosphere as a whole, and then how it gets uh, filtered into the Catholic media in particular. So maybe we can uh, look at these kind of one, one by one, but, but maybe we should, we'll start with a, a quick a prayer just to get ourselves on, on the right track. In the name of the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, please guide us in our discussion. Help us to dispel confusion, discern fact from fiction, and cleave to the truth. Allow us to contribute to the creation of a healthy Catholic media culture. In the name of the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. So why don't we start with LifeSite News? Um, sure. Obviously, since the beginning of this papacy, they they started out, I think, like a lot of outlets trying to defend Pope Francis. Obviously, they always had a very political slant. I mean, being being Canadian, that, but they do have they do have an attachment. They do have a lot of staff in the U.S. and always been close to GOP, the GOP party, and in terms of pro-life absolutism, I guess, for lack of a better word, like, like were certain politicians up to their standards. I had noticed some loose reporting in the past. Like I know they totally misinterpreted Paul Ryan, I think back in what year did he, did he run for vice president? Oh, 2012. Yeah. yeah. I remember there was an article where, where they sort of put things in quotes. Like he, he did a, he did an interview on some mainstream news channel where he was asked, well, what do you have to say to pro to pro choice people who who might want to vote for you? And he's like, well, you know, there are certain areas where we can collaborate and where we do see eye to eye. We don't agree on this issue, but I encourage you to vote for us. And and I remember the their report was that he was that he was both sizing and that there there was room for everybody in the Republican Party and. All the, but it was really, I mean, he wasn't compromising his own position. He was just responding to the fact that there are people out there who disagree. And being a politician, he was just trying to get their vote. But it yeah. wasn't to this extreme, I don't think. I mean, I know that you've written about the origin story of LifeSite News. Yeah. But what I've what I've noticed, and this is this is the thing that kind of confounds me, is they had their their political message but they also were very strongly in favor of of reporting on the or they wanted to report on the pro life pro life movement they wanted to support the pro life movement they were very invested in the church they were very invested in obviously calling out things in the church that they didn't approve of during the papacy of pope francis you know we saw a lot of that as as distortion or innuendo or un, unverifiable or inaccurate translations or that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But what they got picked off social media platforms was not pro-life advocacy. It wasn't their faith. So it wasn't their freedom of religion or their moral beliefs that got them kicked off. The hill that they chose to die on was were rumors that well one article in particular that that people were being killed by the covid vaccine yeah so the uh, according to the official facebook statement 
their their page was it was unpublished. I guess that's the official term they use. And the reason was that they were, and this is a quote, going against the Facebook community standards on health misinformation that could cause physical harm. So yeah, health misinformation that could cause physical harm. If you, you know, say if you post a video saying, you know, hey, it's a great idea to take 25 tablets of Tylenol before you go to bed, that's extremely dangerous information. That's not, you're kind of leaving the realm of freedom of speech because again, there are people who could potentially do that. They would read, they would see that, they think you're an authoritative source and they might actually just go do it because you said it was okay. So, I mean, no, no company is going to want to be held liable for that kind of thing if that happens. And, you know, really the, the COVID misinformation stuff is, is, a, is an extension of that sort of principle. If you go around telling people that, that masks don't work, or if you go around telling people that, you know, vaccines are far more dangerous than they actually are, you discourage people from taking them, all that kind of stuff, you're, you're really leaving the realm of, of opinion and you're getting into the realm of, well, for one thing, you're going against the kind of general consensus of scientists. And sometimes, you know, in certain situations, that might be appropriate if we're, if we're, if we're talking about things where it's not a, an imminent matter of life and death for a lot of people. But, but in the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> in the middle of a pandemic, this is a, a big thing. So, I mean, that's the thing we got to remember. These are not normal times where we're, this is kind of a sort of emergency situation all over the world. So you can get away with more during normal times when people have the ability to take a step back and, and think a little more. But when there's this, you know, imminent threat, then no, you, you really can't do that. Now, I, I know LifeSite very well because I, you know, I, I followed them for a long time because they're a, a bit of a fixture in, in Canada. So like you said, you know, they, they evolved out of a group called Campaign Life Coalition who are, they're a, a sort of alliance formed among various pro-life groups in Canada. And they're, I'd say they're the, the, the predominant pro-life organization in, in Canada. They're certainly the one anyway that, that is out there the most. If you go on the internet looking for anything to do with pro-life stuff in Canada, it's going to be campaign life stuff that you're going to find. And, you know, for a long time, their kind of thing was, you know, pushing for legislative change. So they would identify political candidates who expressed pro-life opinions and say, vote for this person, vote for this person. It's, it's a, it was an extremely calculated way of um, approaching the the issue because that was really the only thing they were judging these candidates on. And, but, I mean, you know, that's the, that's their right. I mean, I that's guess that's right. the yeah. thing. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's. I mean, it's a it's a strategy that early on I, I kind of realized. You know, I, I don't know. I want to I want to think about other things too. I want to be able to balance. You know, also in in Canada, pro life cause. If you're thinking of it as, as a purely political cause, it's a very difficult one. So. It, it'll be it'll be a long time, I think, before we actually have any kind of significant, you know, pro-life movement in our our political sphere. It's it's very different from from the U.S. in in that respect. But you know, this is this is totally legitimate stuff, that, and they're allowed to do that. LifeSite News started in the '90s as the sort of online news source for people interested in the pro-life movement, and it was put out by Campaign Life Coalition. Now, over time, it became its own sort of entity, but there's still, I don't know if there are official ties still between LifeSite and Campaign Life, but they certainly tend to operate in the same zones. Like this week coming up is our March for Life in 
Ottawa. We're, we're under a, a lockdown right now, an emergency. There's a stay-at-home order. I believe they've said that they're still going to go ahead and, and have at least some kind of a gathering on Parliament Hill, although other stuff is going to be online. But often you'll get people like like LifeSite is, is usually one of the top, it's always one of the top supporters of the March for Life, along with maybe Knights of Columbus. And you get people like John Henry Weston speaking there. So LifeSite is, is definitely a big presence. So I've, I've watched over time. I mean, no one would ever accuse LifeSite of being balanced and, you know, objective. And, 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 and I don't even think that was necessarily a bad thing. I mean, I used to think that, you know, they had some good articles sometimes in the past, you know, like they, they got their point across. They were very passionately, passionately dedicated to the, the pro-life cause. They could be shrill. They could be <laughs> extremely one-sided, but th there's nothing wrong with that necessarily. So, but when they started, in my mind, sort of twisting the truth, engaging in sort of like, you know, innuendo and kind of undermining of confidence in the church. I mean, they'd always been sort of antagonistic to the institutional church to some extent, because the institutional church is never pro-life enough for them. Well, and I mean, we have that to some degree, to a great degree in the U.S. as well. I mean, I, yeah. I got that impression from, I mean, the Wanderer. My, you know, my grandfather was a longtime subscriber and my mom was, I mean, basically up until a year ago, I, I always had a Wanderer that I could consult the latest edition. Yes. You know, they, it's funny because the Wanderer was always the the bigger one compared to the Remnant, but it seems like they did not. And and for people who don't know the history of the Wanderer and, and the Red the Remnant, they're they're the same family, the Matt family, M A T T. And in yeah. 1967, after Vatican II, the the original the Wanderer was the original, but one of the one of the brothers or one of the cousins broke off and started the Remnant because of Vatican II. They didn't approve of Vatican II. They embraced the Lefebvre ideology or, or movement the SSPX. And so, but the Wanderer was always pretty reactionary too. And they were always bigger than the Remnant because the Remnant was a little bit more fringe. But I always got this sense that, you know, they were with the Pope and they wanted, and and Vatican II had to be critiqued in the most, I mean, it was valid, but it had to be interpreted in the most a strict way in conformity with past tradition. And they would go after bishops mercilessly, relentlessly. Yeah. But we're always, always claimed that fidelity to the Pope. And I get, I kind of got the same thing from LifeSite. Yeah, they, they kind of like started out a bit more like the Wanderer. Mm -hmm. And then now they've kind of drifted over. When it comes to the church and their opinions on things like Vatican II, much more like the Remnant. So the Wanderer is a lot more like the Remnant now. Yeah. <laughs> Under Pope Francis. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like yeah. they... Maybe they can, maybe they there's can patch things this up shift. the family. Yeah. Yeah. There's, I mean, there's been this great shift over to the kind of traditionalist side of things along among those groups. So the ones that were formerly these kind of ultramontanist, like super conservative Catholics, they kind of drifted into the, especially after Vigano and that sort of stuff happened, drifted into the, the traditionalist camp and, and now are firmly, firmly in that camp. Well, and, um, and the thing is, the, and sorry to interrupt, but the remnant. Yeah, yeah. What I was going to say is, I, I don't know what the subscription numbers are or anything like that, but they seem to have, in a lot of ways, eclipsed the Wanderer because they've made better use of social media. They've made better, better use of video. 
and there is actually, I mean, a lot of the same events that John Henry Weston attends and that Vigano attends, like I'm thinking of that rally in Munich, the one time that Vigano has shown his face in public since, since he went into hiding. I believe both Matt, both Michael Matt of the Remnant and John Henry Weston were in were in attendance at that at that protest. Yeah, I think I think they they learned both both Remnant and LifeSite learned a lot from 2016 and sites like Breitbart. So when you had say the, the Breitbart news site, especially when it was under Steve Bannon, you get this sort of incessant pumping out of kind of clickbait articles and real fear mongering. So this idea that I think, you know, Bannon has said this before, that it's all about war. Like it's all about this idea that we're at war and you have to create that feeling among the people who are reading this stuff that like battle is imminent, that the world is collapsing around you, that society is awful you know the family is falling apart there's crime everywhere there's you know horrible people trying to uh take over the system and every new piece that you put out has to reflect that and amplify that same kind of feeling right so definitely the remnant picked up on that i, I see that kind of bannon-esque aesthetic and 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 way of and and sort of way of constructing narratives in a lot of what they do. And same, same with LifeSite. I mean, if you, if you read LifeSite, you'd be absolutely terrified if you took it seriously. If you really thought that all this stuff was happening, you'd, you'd be hiding in your house, you know, thinking that this is, these really are the, the end times. And especially when you get an actual crisis, like something like uh, COVID, where the world is going through a very difficult time, it just gets, it goes off into the the stratosphere. So that's, that's the kind of, rhetoric they've used and you're right though but it's it, it wasn't with LifeSite the pro-life stuff that was probably the the least of people's concerns in a lot of ways like in terms of the critics of LifeSite I mean they they, they certainly have been criticized by pro pro-choice groups for you know uh, for maybe spreading misinformation and that sort of thing, or what they consider to be misinformation. But, you know, this is still kind of, I think, within the realm of debate. They, I found that over time, their anti-LGBTQ stuff became more and more less based in, in a sort of charitable presentation of church teaching and more just, I'd have to say it's hate-based. Like it's, uh, you know, it's it's trying to present LGBTQ people and the LGBTQ movement as this evil force trying to take over society, destroy everything that, that you value. You're, you know, trying to get at your kids through the schools, trying to, you know, infiltrate the government, that, that sort of thing. And I think a lot of groups that advocate for LGBTQ people have, you know, found that very disturbing, but in the end, it really was the, the, the misinformation that, that about COVID that, that caused them to get banned. Oh, it was the, the Al Capone tax evasion. Yeah. Exactly. That's, I mean, I, and yeah. that's the thing. One of the things is it's it's it, the LifeSite News, I think, on their either on their site or somebody reported that it was like NARAL Pro-Choice America and, you know, the the different Planned Parenthood organizations that that were logging these complaints against LifeSite. But LifeSite made themselves vulnerable by spreading misinformation for violating policy. You know, they knew going yes. in. 
you know, they've been on these platforms for, for a decade and they knew and and they hadn't received those those kinds of penalties before. I think they'd had some suspensions maybe here and there for, for yeah. a few days because of graphic photos and, and that kind of thing. But really, I mean, in the end, it was this misinformation and they were willing to put, I mean, here here they are ostensibly they exist to promote the pro-life cause you know to end abortion euthanasia assisted suicide you know not necessarily the full breadth of life issues but at least those yeah and and they start this catholic branch after pope francis which is really an anti-catholic branch because it's it's promoting their view of catholicism not the Catholicism that's in communion with the Pope, but you know they they dedicated themselves to that. They made that their mission. Yeah, let's say in 2015, those were their two causes, and then they threw all of that away because on the COVID stuff. On yeah. the COVID stuff. I mean, it's 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 kind of. I mean, not that I was. I'm not upset to see them go necessarily because I I don't I think that they were being a counter witness in a lot of ways and turning people off to, you know, to defend the defense of the unborn because they were too tied to some of these reactionary movements. But I mean, I don't know, to me, that's, it, it's just astounding. With that, the amount, with the amount of money, because they, they, they seem to have an, an incredible amount of money coming in through donations that allows them to generate so much content and to hire a lot of writers, they could have done so much good. I mean, it's incredible if they had, you know, if they had, you know, adhered to certain standards and, you know, focused on true pro-life issues like they, they used to used to do, they, they really could have done so much good because, you know, especially in Canada, like right now, like we, euthanasia is, is legal. It's a big problem. We need people to talk about it, but no one will take them seriously. And they've kind of discredited a lot of people who would talk about that stuff because they've tied it to these, to this, this crazy sort of right-wing fringe stuff. And, you know, the, you mentioned that, yeah, it was the, the president of, of NARAL Pro-Choice America who, who, who put out some tweets saying that it looks like they, like NARAL, I think it was Media Matters for America, Human Rights Campaign, HRC, and GLAAD, which is a pro-LGBTQ organization, they, they may have played a role in bringing the COVID misinformation to Facebook's attention. It sounds like they did. But she was very, very disappointed. And so she's like, we'll take this as a win. But she's very disappointed that it wasn't the anti-gay, sort of what they consider hate speech, that got them shut down. It was the COVID misinformation. So even for them, this is kind of like a, a strange victory because they, they had, it, took, it took the COVID misinfo to actually get them banned. One thing I wanted to mention was, you know, this, this did come up on Tucker Carlson. The, I mean, it's funny how these things work all this stuff kind of bubbles around underneath in the, you know, internet sphere. And then some of it ends up, you know, getting onto one of the, the top rated TV shows in the United States. Now, Tucker Carlson commented on it and he said, and he was talking about the way that health authorities are cracking down on anyone who questions vaccines. So he says, our health authorities, as a quote, have reserved their energy for anyone who dares to question vaccines. LifeSite News, that's a nonprofit news organization, just found itself permanently banned from Facebook. Why? Because it reported government numbers from the VAERS database, something that we just did on the air. So 
And the, the VAERS database is like this vaccine adverse event reporting system that's run by the CDC and the FDA, and it tracks deaths of any kind that occur after taking vaccines. And that, but that includes natural deaths, deaths of any kind, and, and then you have to interpret all the data. But it's it's very easy to misinterpret and scare people with it, especially but, since the first batch of people who got the vaccines were mostly over seventy five. Yeah, there's so, some extremely <clears throat> old people here who yeah. um, who who got this vaccine, and it was you know there's something like maybe like three thousand in the U S that they've got listed here. I forget what the exact numbers were, but it, it, it's incredible that he would just you know say, you know, LifeSite News. This is a, a non profit news organization, which is literally true, but it doesn't give any of the sort of context that you would expect. I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think the government should just be, you know, just slamming the ban hammer on, or, or, or health authorities should be slamming the ban hammer on anyone who questions anything to do with vaccines. No, there's, the, you know, but this, this is not ordinary questioning or, or this is, I mean, LifeSite News have been conducting a propaganda campaign for a very long time and pushing every bit of misinformation they could find. So taking that out of context, it just becomes part of this sort of like cancel culture narrative that Tucker Carlson is trying to to put forward. And that's another thing we got to we got to make sure we dig and figure out like, okay, so someone got banned. Okay, well let's dig a little bit and find out why, right? And in the end too, it should be mentioned that it wasn't the health authorities that, that banned them it was it was facebook that banned them. it was, it was a, i mean it was a corporate decision and i think yeah i think facebook obviously i mean we hear about like what what parlor looks like now or or we've talked about in the past like 4chan and then 8chan and then 8 coon yes. it, it's being tied to some of these platforms where a lot of this misinformation and pseudoscience and life-threatening dangerous stuff uh, happens can can be a real liability or a potential liability, or it you know it could start a campaign in the mainstream to like avoid this website because your kids might come across whatever you know. I'm thinking of YouTube. So YouTube, you hear about famous bannings here and there. For the most part, they tend to be copyright banning somebody using appropriating somebody else's you know, copyrighted song or video or whatever. Yeah. But another one that really like, I re I'm reminded of, well, there are two in particular. For one thing, suicide videos yeah. get uploaded um, to YouTube and they're banned, they're deleted, they're flagged, they're deleted, they're taken off. To me, that's a, you know, that's a good thing. You know, they, I think they start, like people will start the live stream going and then for whatever reason they want to become famous or they, and I mean, it's, uh, you know, you, you feel, sad and you feel you know i mean obviously the people are going through a lot and it's a tragedy but to to have that broadcast for anyone to see on on the internet is you know it's inappropriate the other thing that i mean it's, it's almost humorous but it's it's not like we all remember like the ice bucket challenge that you know was was a fundraiser but at another point there was something called the tide pod challenge yes i don't know pods. if you remember that yes, so it, like do, the yeah. tide the tide laundry pellets people put in the in the washing machine and i don't know how many i think somebody said it as a joke and then some some bright teenagers decided to video themselves i guess this was before tiktok that's probably where they'd be doing it nowadays they they would film themselves swallowing a tide pod and they'd get all these hits and become 
I guess, famous for all the wrong reasons on YouTube, but YouTube pulled that down because if people copied, just like with the suicide, like suicide can be a trigger, like yeah. trigger, sorry, but, you know, talk of, talk of it or, you know, an example. I mean, that's one of the things like don't try this at home They is the old disclaimer on TV. Yeah, there, there was a bit of a panic, too, about these videos that would try to convince children to commit suicide, right? Like, yeah. the, so children would find these videos. And now I don't know if they ever, I don't know if they existed or not, but certainly if they, if they ever did exist, I, I think, you know, the, these are, are videos that most people would have no problem being removed from YouTube. And, you know, it, it's funny when Catholics get become suddenly free speech activists or even, yeah. <laughs> I guess, I mean, there's no, I mean, I, I love the Catholic church. There's no institution in the world. I think that has a, a, quite as bad a record when it comes to uh, freedom of speech, right? Like it's, you know, the, like we had the inquisition, right? Like, so, and, but, you know, even, even in the, the, the church now, the, the post Vatican II church, you know, I just, I was, I was looking through the, the catechism recently and if you look in the section on offenses against truth, you know, I really recommend people look at this section because it talks about, you know, all these things like false witness, perjury, you know, uh, not having respect for the reputation of others, you know, avoiding rash judgment, all of these things. And they refer to lying as the most direct offense against the truth. And even when it comes to they say that the it says here in the catechism that the, even the right to the communication of the truth is not unconditional. Everyone must conform his life to the gospel precept of fraternal love. And so we have to judge whether or not it's appropriate to say something that may be true in a given situation. So, you know, even, you know, it's absolutely lies and misrepresentations and insinuations and conspiracies. These things are there's just no question that they're absolutely frowned upon by the Catholic Church, and even we need to be even be careful when we when we speak the truth to to not like, you know, speak it in a way that's going to cause more harm than than good. So, I think you know it would be good if we maybe all reflected a little bit on that. I mean, I mean, I, I I'm a pretty big believer actually, like you know myself, in in a, like a robust sort of freedom of speech. But, you know, every, every society has its limits, and we found where the limits are the last little while. In the United States, it was the, the COVID misinformation, but also election fraud stuff after January 6th when this stuff exploded. And, you know, you have people who are attacking the Capitol based on stuff that they, they read online that had been amplified by, by the president. Now, let me, let me back up a little bit here because... Mm -hmm. While the general consensus, while you and I understand a lot of these things are are pseudoscience or based on lies are inaccurate, these first of all, I I assume I mean I, I have to assume, I mean there are probably hucksters in there here and there are people who are trying to profit. But I I mean I think that a lot of these a lot of people who embrace these conspiracy theories or have this conspiratorial mindset they think they're speaking the truth. And so, yeah. the, and, and that kind of leads to them thinking that they're, not only are they trying to tell the truth, but they're being silenced, which makes them martyrs, which makes them even more outspoken towards their cause. 
<laughs> and and this is kind of a vicious cycle. I mean, part of me wonders what would happen if they weren't taken off YouTube and Facebook and, and that kind of thing. My, I mean, my fear is that it would turn into what 8chan and, you know, par, Parler, Parler, MeWe, what, you know, what these various free speech platforms have turned into, which is just cesspools of white supremacy and modern day Nazism and, 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 and really actually perverse stuff as well. Yeah. Um, and I, well, I just wonder, like, I, I guess the thing though is it's like, and, and I mean, the thing is, I think we, we develop that we've developed this trust historically as, as Catholics, like, like we discussed last week, it's like, I mean, I, I know growing up, or maybe not growing up, but over the last 10 or 15 years in conservative Catholic circles, especially in the U.S., we had these heroes that we look to. And, and, you know, these are the champions of orthodoxy. And these are the, these are the prelates. These are, you know, EWTN, Raymond Arroyo, so close to Mother Angelica. And then by extension, you've got the papal posse who are, you know, you've got George Weigel, the guy who wrote the, the book on Pope, on Pope John Paul, Pope St. John Paul II. And you've got Cardinal Burke, you know, he was, he was portrayed as one of the good guys. This is, this is the guy you need to follow him. You need to listen to him. And I guess the thing is, it's like, and, and that's, I mean, I wrote the piece about Aidan Nichols, the, the, the Dominican English theologian. It's like, he, he was a Vatican II defender, convert to the Catholic faith, well-respected, I know he wrote a book that was sort of a back and forth between himself and an SSPX sympathizer about Vatican II and why it was in continuity. And and here he is signing this declaration that the Pope is a heretic and claiming that he was wearing uh, a cross that represented LGBT pride, like a rainbow thing, when actually it was a Latin American and each of the colors represented a country yeah. type rainbow. And that the the staff the that he carried at at the mass was a Wiccan stang or something. I mean, it, it's like, this is actually, which both of which were debunked immediately. A Google search could have given you the true story immediately. If you'd gone to where Peter is, we linked to those stories. And, and here are, here's this really, really smart, really, really respectable, taking for granted that he's Orthodox theologian who's signing this nonsense. Cardinal Burke, yeah. the microchips and the vaccines, like, like it's, I don't well, know. I, I think, I think we've learned, you know, a, a really, really important lesson as Catholics. I mean, I, I fell into this too. I, I thought that, you know, well, if I listen to Catholic media, this is going to be stuff that's based on Catholic teaching. I can't go wrong. I, you know, I can, I can trust what I'm hearing here. And you, you know, there's this tendency, you know, and I think, you know, Catholics, a lot of Catholics have this tendency to, to kind of, you can bury yourself in this sort of little world of Catholic media and not look outside it, right? And what we've discovered is that, unfortunately, this little world of Catholic media is not at all immune to the kind of twisting of truth that can occur, uh, especially through like politicization and things like that. But also, it's it's not immune to the conspiracy theories that are out there that can creep in and sort of poison people's thinking. So. What I, what I think we have to do is, you know, we, we have, we, I think we have a duty as Catholics to look to figure out the whole truth, 
So it, it should never be enough for us to just see something and say, oh, that must be true, and just kind of take it at face value. But it really is a duty, I think, to whenever possible, to, to just do a little due diligence and, and a little investigation and look behind what's going on with the information that we're receiving. And that includes information that we're getting from Catholic media. So we need to develop that critical faculty. And unfortunately, so much of Catholic media seemed to have been designed to atrophy that, that, that critical faculty, right? Because all you have to do is just kind of sit back, you know, surround yourself with EWTN media and just soak it all in and, and you're getting all this great truth. But it, it turns out that, that that wasn't the case at all. And, and especially with the internet and, and these kind of rogue sites that claim to represent the Catholic truth, you can get way, way off base and, and way, way into areas that you would have never gone before. Now, I think some people, not everyone maybe has the capacity to, to, to do that kind of investigation, which is why I think in extreme circumstances, sometimes you have to clamp down on these things and, you know, like you have to shut down LifeSite. You have to, you know, make sure that there's people can't just absorb this stuff through their Facebook because unfortunately there are, there are vulnerable people out there who, again, these are the people who, who unfortunately are the targets for lots of scams and misinformation. Like, you know, those phone calls you get about the, you know, your credit card has problems and we need your credit card number, that kind of stuff. And they'll, they'll, they'll they're trusting people. So we got to think about those kind of people too, that who can really fall into this stuff hard. But they're skeptical. I mean, it's kind of yeah. a weird thing. It's sort of a misplaced trust like like they think there's something up with the mainstream narrative yeah and they deliver their trust to a fringe group instead now i'm not saying you shouldn't look at the the mainstream narrative critically but you should maybe yeah. use it as a baseline and 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 here's okay just a couple of user tips for example if you see it like one of the things that would happen to me regularly especially early in the papacy when you know even before where peter is and people would challenge me well what about this what about this thing that cardinal marx said you know at this in this interview you know and and, and so or or what about this this homily that pope francis gave during or this person that he welcomed and a lot of times they would i i know that catholic news agency would do it a lot life site does it a lot where they will take excerpts they will be the first English source to have this story, you know, to have this interview that was in German or Italian originally, or this talk that, you know, that somebody, that some archbishop that's close to Francis gave in Italian. And they won't link to the original source. There are no original sources in, in English. Like I know a lot of the reporting on the German Synod, for example, isn't translated into English. I mean, that, that was one of the things that, that we noticed was that interview with, with Cardinal Sean Bourne. A lot of people reported on it, left and right, mm -hmm. but nobody actually translated the whole thing so that people could, and thankfully we had some, some readers who, who volunteered to, you know, who, one of whom lives in, lives in Vienna and, and the other one is a, is a U.S. deacon, Deacon Clayton, who he lives in, he's in my, in my archdiocese actually. And he is, he's German and he's fluent in, in German. So I would have them, one of them would translate it or I would translate it from Google Translate and edit it and then they would review it. But just to give people full context. And, and, yeah. and that's, and so, okay, so here's, 
if context context is key to so much of this yeah. so if you don't see a link to a full address and all you see are excerpts in an article and i named two 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 sources that tend to do that and they don't even link back to the original in the original language Sir, do an internet search for it like highlight some of the key terms right click search google for this person have a google translate app like e either a chrome extension or i don't know what do they call it in mozilla mozilla firefox add-on that that has google translate automatically worked in and then a little yeah. window will pop up saying you know this is originally in german do you want to read it in english now it's not going to give you a hundred percent you know, especially German to English, it doesn't, you know, that it's a complicated translation, but it, it'll give you an idea of the fuller context. And, and and finding out that context may not change your opinion entirely, but at least your opinion will be an informed one. It won't be based on these little fragments that people are quoting. Because, yeah, they go out and they search for fragments that will make people look bad, basically, right? Like make people, they want fragments, especially from people in the church who they consider liberal in any way anything that might suggest that these people are corrupt or gay or whatever, or, or, you know, or pushing for like liberal reforms, you know, that kind of thing. And they'll, they'll use that and they'll milk it for whatever it's worth. And, and I think that's, yeah, it's, it's very dishonest way of doing things. You need to look at the whole context. You may, you may still be opposed to this person that you heard about, but you know, at least you'll be able to, to, to fully understand why and give a, a good reasoned argument. Maybe I thought maybe in the last fifteen minutes we could look at the the a bit of the Patrick Coffin Truth Over Fear Summit because this kind of you know encapsulates so much of what we've been talking about. We're getting you know this coalescing of all these different strands of conspiracy theory into like one one event, and so we we mentioned last week that the, the Patrick Coffin Summit was and you mentioned earlier today too that it was pulled or the the it had to be postponed to this weekend so it ran this weekend and i had a chance to look at the the list of, of speakers and what they were talking about and in doing this i was able to you know delineate some of the the different sort of camps of conspiracy theory that are coming together at this conference and it's really fascinating i mean you touched on it a little bit but i'd like to maybe just dig a little deeper into it sure so Probably over fifty percent of the the people speaking there are are what you might call like medical conspiracists, right? So, doctors or self described medical experts who are either opposed to vaccines or who promote natural cures or for often extremely serious diseases or who question any kind of centralized medical authority. So that's one sort of group. Then you have the what I would call the New World Order conspiracists. So that's people like G. Edward Griffin, who's one of the first speakers. He's very well known for his conspiracy theories that go all the way back to people like Ezra Pound or Major C.H. Douglas from the social credit movement. He's a big how, chemtrails guy, right? He Isn't also, he's into, yeah. he's into lots of things like he's, you know, that HIV uh, is not, uh, HIV does not cause AIDS or that HIV is not, not an actual virus or something like that basically an hiv denier and yeah and also into chemtrails stuff but also this this overriding idea that bankers use what he calls like you know fiat currency and central banking institutions like the federal reserve to manipulate the money system and, and gain control over the world there's another speaker there rosa corey 
and she's a new world order conspiracy theorist but she sees environmentalism as the sort of cover for the, the progression of this new world order as opposed to griffin who sees it more in the, in the banking world but it's the same idea then you have some people who i think are kind of fascinating the well, in the anti-communist conspiracists and these guys are particularly relevant in the catholic world right now because of all the criticism of the china deal the vatican china agreement so stephen mosher he's uh, a Catholic convert. I think he, he was on EWTN, you know, back in the day, talking about his conversion story. He's now a Bannon associate and, and a member of this group called Committee on the Present Danger China. And he's been on the world over with Raymond Arroyo. There's also Alex Newman. He writes for the Epic Times, which is uh, a Falun Gong connected newspaper that is just vehemently anti-China, anti-CCP. So they have this kind of fanatical anti-CCP agenda along with Steve Steve Bannon. That's become his thing now. And a lot, I've seen this stuff come up all the time in the Catholic world, especially in relation to the Vatican-China agreement. The Again, we're seeing there's a difference between authentic criticism of like say China, like there's there's much to criticize about China, like the treatment of the Uyghurs and 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 all that stuff, and 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 their really really poor track record when it comes to democracy and uh, freedom of speech and all that kind of stuff, human rights. But there's a difference between that and what I feel these guys do, where it's just this exaggerated Breitbart like constant stream of anti-China information. Whether it's fair or not, that doesn't matter. They don't care. Whether it's you know based in um, fact or not, you know whatever. As long as it as long as it does the work, that's kind of their 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 attitude. So that's another group. And, and then they're more than happy to to pin it all on Pope Francis and his his arrangement with the with the Catholic Church with the state I, church in China. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. And, and the stuff that I've heard about that, I mean. Again, there are legitimate criticisms of the Vatican-China agreement, but usually I don't hear that. I hear this sort of really kind of shrill and almost like fanatical anti-communist, anti-China kind of stuff. And I mean, or that, used... or, and that McCarrick is the is the architect Mac... of the deal. <laughs> yes. Oh yeah, McCarrick is like somehow you know the the great mastermind behind everything. I mean, that's is... the narrative. It's that McCarrick was yeah. rehabilitated despite Pope Francis knowing that he was an abuser and and promoted and sent to China to, or sent to work with China on that deal. Whereas yeah. if you actually read the emails, it's, and sorry to interrupt, but it's like, that's okay. It's yeah. McCarrick, like McCarrick's former secretary released a bunch of emails, for example, some of which were to Cardinal Parolin, the, the Vatican secretary of state and to Pope Francis. And it would be McCarrick saying, Oh, I've been in touch with this person from China. And next time, I'm in Rome, you'll certainly want to meet with me. Or, oh, I'm going to be in China if you'd like me to deliver a message for so-and-so. I mean, it was sort of like, he, I mean, I got the impression that that McCarrick was looking for validation or he was trying to make himself feel important or that he was participating. Yeah. It wasn't that he was at the center of these negotiations. Now, he, he certainly wanted to be and he was put, and he would put himself, he would, in the most positive light or most uh, helpful light possible, but it wasn't obviously he the fact that he had to like 
hope he would be able to report back afterwards didn't quite sound like somebody who was tasked with arranging the deal. Yeah, you know, this is and this is a subject we could probably spend a whole show talking about this, about how McCarrick has become an almost mythological figure for a lot of people. And I mean, don't get me wrong, McCarrick was not a good guy. He did. He was an abuser. He did a sexual abuser. He did bad things. And like, I would never try to justify those things in any way. And, and I'm, I'm glad that he, you know, is, is where he is right now in sort of exile. And uh, I'm glad that that all came out. And, but at the same time, I was shocked in 2018 when the McCarrick scandal broke and, and I was reading about it and I was kind of, you know, sickened and a bit dis- and, and sickened and disappointed, I think, because it was like, well, this is just, it's the same thing we've seen a million times in the church playing out again. It's this kind of, you know, a history of uh, sort of s- subtle grooming and abuse and then, you know, a lot of lying and, and covering up and that sort of thing. And, and then it, it comes out later on. And, it, and this person was living a, a something of a, a double life, or at least, you know, covering it up and pretending it, it hadn't happened. But it became like, McCarrick became like the monster, like the, the, the sort of, you know, embodiment of evil in the church. And I think a lot of that was Vigano's doing because oh, yeah. Vigano placed him at the center of what he tried to say was like this grand sort of homosexual pedophile conspiracy. That was the real power behind the Vigano letter was it wasn't just that he was calling out Pope Francis and McCarrick, but he was also implanting this idea that McCarrick is just like, now we're seeing this great, homosexual conspiracy exposed right and 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 the implication was that pope francis was connected to it or part of it or somehow so yeah i think he he's he's become a really interesting figure and it's the same with with the china deal i mean you would imagine that he was like one of the, the biggest you know players in the the vatican and on the world stage when it came to you know china and stuff but the reality of it is so mundane as it often is with a lot of these cases, when you when you dig into them, it's it's yeah, the, the reality is kind of depressing and and mundane. <laughs> I think that's what the McCarrick report, you know, really showed. One of the people who is speaking at the, the conference, the Patrick Coffin conference, is someone I thought would be worth noting just at the end because you know people should keep an eye out for this figure, Liz Yor. So she, it's it's Liz at Y O R E Yor. And uh, she runs a, a website called Your Children. I, I don't see her on Catholic Twitter all that much. Uh, she's there, but I see her all the time on Steve Bannon's show, because War Room Pandemic. God love is, you for watching that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I uh, check in on War Room Pandemic. Is our, is our friend Frank Walker still a regular? I haven't. I haven't seen Frank, or I haven't heard Frank on on the show in a while. Stephen Mosher is is on the show sometimes, but it seems that Liz Yor has become the go to sort of. Vatican sort of expert, right? And she is absolutely 100% a um, follower uh, and advocate of Archbishop Vigano. Even now, she again seems to think that McCarrick was the architect of of so much that that went wrong in the church and and, and the architect of behind the China deal. And uh, she also comes from this this world. She used to she was a lawyer, I believe, and involved in, in advocacy about human trafficking. And again, this is a one of those subjects that I think people need to watch out for as well. There's Because again, it's like with the China stuff, there's legitimate discourse around 
subject of human trafficking when we're talking about human trafficking is a global problem and and that includes child trafficking and there are lots of organizations that are involved in this the un is involved in trying to solve this problem the vatican is involved in, in trying to solve this problem but it's often again it's more mundane and difficult and complicated than a lot of people will admit and it seems like liz you someone who came from originally might have been you know a legitimate part of this world of of uh, advocacy about human trafficking but has kind of entered into uh sort of conspiracy realm and i i think you know I, she was on the world over actually not that long ago i believe talking to, to raymond arroyo about child trafficking and i would just say to people you know be very careful of stuff like this there are people who are talking about things that are genuinely important like it is important to talk about china it is important to talk about child trafficking it is important to talk about all these things it's abortion it's, i mean that's abortion like, yeah it's like these are these are like crucial, crucial it's like issues. they're almost trying it, it's a counter witness to, to is, embrace this unreality to lose this grip on critical thinking and and to advocate for for conspiracy theories even if what you're even if what you're promoting is a moral truth i mean i've seen so many catholics who say i want nothing to do with the pro-life label anymore yeah because of what they've witnessed now i'm i haven't given up on the pro-life label neither um, have i neither have i i'm okay saying pro-life too um but, but i i think it needs a recalibration i mean i'm yeah. worried about the mainstream well i'm worried the mainstream pro-life movement has in a lot of ways and i think the last four or five years have really shaped it in in quite a way but i mean the They've done so much. That, I mean, their cause is so noble. Yet, yeah, you know, and it, it, it's a cause where they have science and truth. Like we, as pro-lifers, we have science and truth on our side. I, I believe. I, I think that the, you know, everything about this idea that that the the unborn children should have rights that they're that these are humans you know that these are, are humans deserving of protection i mean all that is rooted in science and it's it's an incredibly firm foundation for a movement and to just throw it all away by jumping onto these various bandwagons whether it's the QAnon human trafficking sort of bandwagon or whether it's the anti-covid stuff or whether you know th there's all these different streams of conspiracy theory that, that i'm sure get the hits they get a lot of people you know a lot of people looking at your your site but they, they do incredible damage i mean the the damage that someone like abby johnson did by going to the the protest at the at, on january 6 in the capitol is just immense and and well it's not even it's not just her i mean she was yeah. an attendee there were speakers there that i mean the the jericho march had bishop strickland leading a prayer it had taylor marshall on stage i mean it wasn't and there was a priest that was helping to MC the whole thing yeah uh, anyway well to end on that uh, we should probably wrap it up we okay so what we didn't get to in this hour was mm -hmm. talking about the q into the storm documentary and the origins yes. of QAnon. and so i'm thinking that maybe what david and i do is record a little 15 minute supplement for our patreon 
subscribers to talk about QAnon and and what we've learned and and where that that whole thing is that whole that whole thing is today but any any closing words though for this for this broadcast you know i, I will say that i i'm not out to you know cancel these people any of these people that we're talking about you know we were talking about liz yor there and 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 the stuff that she's been saying about you know the the pulp and about china i i think a lot of these people started out as people with you know good intentions and and a lot of them are intelligent people but something went something went wrong along the way and i i just encourage you know anyone to keep in mind that there's a way back you know there's a way you can get out of this conspiratorial way of thinking you don't need to go keep going all in it's difficult because you might have to admit that that you were wrong and you might have to admit that that you said things that may have hurt others but you know there's a way back okay yeah i hope so <laughs> and we'll and and on the next uh, edition of the critical catholic or eventually we'll maybe we'll come up with some or i'm sure david has some very good thoughts on how to do that i'm just asking the questions yeah. so anyway thank you for watching thank you for listening if you're a patreon subscriber great you can watch our within an hour or so you'll be able to to view our little 15 minute supplement on the q q anon documentary and until next time God bless and take care.